So Johnny has already started introducing the series for us. I told him to do that. I'd like to take a moment, though, to see if we can actually talk about this. So, and uh, I was discussing it with KK, and she said, well, why don't you just ask them and see if they'll talk back to you, okay? So, so here's your chance. What, what do you have to make room for? What came to your mind when you were listening to Johnny talking about making room? Give me an example. Where do you make room? He said in your closet. Okay, let me turn up and make sure I can hear what you say. Who said what's next? Schedule. schedule. That's really true. You know, you have to make room in your schedule. You put something down when it's important. Okay? What else do you make room for? Budget. Your, your budget. Okay. You make room in your in your plan to spend. What you're going to do? What'd you say? You know, I thought about that. I thought about when you make room for babies, what do you do? Well, you first you have to get a nursery, and then you get it all figured out, and then you have a second one, right? Huh? And then, then you got to figure out, now what do we do? Where, where do we put these children, you know? Three-bedroom house, we were using all three, now we got to put kids somewhere. Okay, now what? Okay, who else? What do you make room for? Guest. So somebody comes. I use our guest room. KK says I use it like a closet because I, I, that's where I, we have a small place there, and I, I keep stuff strewn everywhere, and guests are coming. And i got to go clean out the guest room, make some room, all right? What else? I had to make room for equipment for All right, so when something changes and you have to make room to get around, that makes sense. What else do you make room for? The things that's important. What now? Where? Things that are important, you figure out a way to do it, right? Yeah, get rid of the clutter. Clutter, that's, there's a lot to talk about there, all right? You know, something that you didn't bring up yet that I'm, I'm kind of interested that you didn't say it. You, you make room in the car. Talk about a baby a moment ago. Maybe I don't know what all you were thinking about. But it's fun for me when we get ready to go somewhere, and I say, okay, is Johnny going to drive? Is Matthew going to drive? And, I, and in both of their cars, they've got to move a baby seat for me to get in the back seat, right? I mean, they've got to make room in the car for someone to go. Anything else? Make room for friends. And you can go back and put that into schedule and everything. So how do you clean your closet? You know, do you ever clean your closet? You know, how do you clean your closet? When I clean the closet, I take everything out. Anybody else like that? Take everything out. Can't just rearrange the stuff. Take everything out. Something on the floor, you, you know, maybe it's time you sweep it or vacuum it. Hadn't done that in a few months, you know, because <laughs> you got all this stuff in there. Take everything out, put it aside, look it over. It may even be time to paint it, you know, depending on how old your house is. Getting ready to uh, rearrange the closet. KK was willing to buy a closet system so we could put the clothes in there and those kind of things. But I've got so many shirts that I don't wear. You know, I've got so, I've got old suits that if I put them on, you'd laugh, you know, because they're, they're way too long or, you know, there's, I just need to get rid of some stuff. And the way to do that probably is going to be to take it out, look it over, and decide what we're going to put back. So we're starting this Make Room series with our hearts. Turn this morning with me to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 
there's some pretty incredible words about making room. And I think that when you think about it, you've got to make room. Making implies action, and room implies space for something that may or may not have been there, but you're trying to put it there. I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at some other verses around it because you do remember that the chapter verses and headings are not inspired. Sometimes they're actually in the way because they keep you from putting things together. 1 Peter 2 verse 1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you pray with me? Father, we've opened this word with great reverence. We know that it is the very word of God. And so we pause now and we wait and we listen. Would you, Holy Spirit, be pleased to take this book that you've inspired And now use this weak vessel of a man to speak and call attention to the scripture and through this word of God bring fresh life to our hearts. We thank you that you indwell us, Holy Spirit. And today, if there's anyone present that doesn't have a relationship with our eternal Father through Christ the Son, may you, Holy Spirit, draw them to personal faith, I pray. So we listen for your voice, and we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice what it says, that you long for spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. Let's talk for a moment about spiritual growth. There's some real lies about spiritual growth. Some people think that spiritual growth is measured by going to church with great frequency. Now, I want to be careful here because I said this a few weeks ago. Studies show that that the average church attender may come once, maybe twice a month when they used to come three, maybe four times a month. I know it's the complexity of our lives, and we look around on Sunday, and believe it or not, after today, I will be able to name every one of you and where you sat and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we try to take roll every Sunday. You don't know that. But we're, we're marking down who's here so that we'll know if, if we need to reach out to those who haven't been in a while, if maybe something's wrong and we don't know it. And there are times that we might take a picture and go back and look over and see who's here because we don't click roll like we do with the children. But I can, after this morning, I'll be able to name every one of you because I know where you sat. I'll just close my eyes. Uh, I, can go, I can do it on the way home. Uh, I can write your initials on a little card, and, and I can remember who is here. Now, coming to church is a good thing. What I'm doing in this first point here is I'm, I'm trying to tell you that it's not spiritual growth, <laughs> but I, I want to make sure you get the balance. It's, it's actually commanded in Scripture that we gather together. And we're supposed to help each other to love and good deeds. But listen, you can go to church 
every Sunday, check the box, and not grow spiritually. That's a lie about spiritual growth, that it is only measured by church attendance. Here's another one. Spiritual growth can only happen over time. In other words, if you haven't been a Christian for a long time, then it's okay that you haven't been growing spiritually because it just takes time. Well, it does take time, but you know, spiritual growth is actually not measured by the exposure time. Spiritual growth is measured by obedience. I've met some people who have been a follower of Christ for one year. More mature than someone who's been a follower of Christ, at least they say they are, for 40 years. How can a person grow more in one year than somebody who's attended church every Sunday for 40 years? Because that person who's been following Christ for one year is in a regular habit of obeying what God wants them to do. I don't mean a work salvation but I mean a salvation that works. They are seeing God at work and they're asking God to work and they're following God as he works in their lives. So there's a lie about spiritual growth that says it happens when you go to church with great frequency. And there's a lie that says it's going to take a long time or you'll never be mature. Here's a third lie. There's a lie about spiritual growth that some people are just designed to be more spiritual than others. Think about how you apply that. I mean, Pastor Johnny went to school for this. You know, he got a degree in this. In theology. And he's read all these books he knows all these terms. So, I mean, he's supposed to be more spiritual than me. I mean, we pay him to be spiritual, right? Come on. But watch how that spiritual growth lie permeates the church. Some people are feelers. And they, they have a way of feeling when people hurt. And you go, Boy, they're just so spiritual. I'll never be as spiritual as they are. So we're measuring it by some people that know a lot of stuff and some people that feel a lot of stuff. And we think those things are some people are more spiritual than others. But if the Spirit of God lives in your heart and you have been born from above and as he is living his life in you, you're gifting your opportunity, your expression of service is not what measures your spiritual growth. What measures your spiritual growth is are you walking with him? Are you listening to him? Are you truly following him? Now, why am I doing all this? Because the scripture said that you might long for the spiritual milk like a newborn babe so that you can grow up into your salvation. But you know, there's one more lie about spiritual growth that I've noticed. And it's a lie that says, this is probably all the growing I'm going to do. I mean, come on. I've, I've been a follower of Christ for a bunch of years. I have... 
I've given, I mean, I tithe every single month. I've never missed it since I was a kid. I give 10% of my income. I'm a regular. I'm generous. I give more than that. I see people in need, and I give more than that. And so I'm probably just as spiritual as I'll ever get. This is probably it. I mean, babies grow, and they get to a certain size and then you know I used to be this tall now I'm this tall because I'm all crunched over and uh, you know my belly's grown enough so I'm through growing spiritually because I'm through growing physically hey listen if you're not growing and you're not changing you're dying the body has to have oxygen in and carbon dioxide out It has to have nutrients in and waste out. And if that doesn't happen, you're dying. You're not growing. God expects us to grow until the day we die. I'll never forget meeting with one of my seminary professors. No reason you should know his name. Most pastors, middle age or older, know his name. His name is Roy Fish. Dr. Fish was an evangelism professor at Southwestern Seminary, and he became known among our Southern Baptist tribe as an incredible leader. I was privileged to know him personally and spend some time with him. And late in his life, we sat down within a year of his death. And I said, Dr. Fish, how you doing? He said, ah, I'm struggling a little bit. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I'm I'm not doing any more interims, so I don't preach most every Sunday. And he got a little teary-eyed. He said, the other day I told God in my prayer time, Father, nobody loves you more than me. Nobody wants to preach your word more than me. So why won't you let me preach anymore? Am I just too old? Am I on the shelf? Why won't you let me preach anymore? And he said, this is what I heard the Father whisper back to me. Do you only love my word when you get to preach it to others? And he started weeping. And he said, I said back to him, no, Father. If you'll open up your word to me, if I never get to tell anybody else what I see in it, just meet me there, Father. And I thought, here's a man, and sure enough, within a year he was passed from this earth. But he was pleading to God to let him keep growing in his relationship, in his knowledge of God. This morning I want to plead with you before we unpack some verses right here around this one phrase. I want to plead with you. Would you be willing to say, God, I want to grow. I want to grow in my knowledge of you. I want to grow in my understanding of you. I want to, I want to grow in my relationship with you. Could you make that your prayer? The scripture says here that we are too like a newborn babe long for, desire, have a passion for the pure, unadulterated spiritual word so that we can grow. 
I'm going to make a list this morning, back in chapter 2, verse 1, of some things we ought to lay aside. We're cleaning the closet. We're taking it all out. We're going to throw some stuff away. And here's a pattern that we find in Scripture. There's just some stuff we need to remove. We need to remove some stuff. So let's talk about that pattern in Scripture. In Ephesians, he says, lay aside your old man and Put on your new man with a character of what a new believer ought to look like. I was, I went on a little trip this week. Once KK got cleared from a doctor, I drove up to North Carolina. I spent a lot of car time. And sometimes that's a great time for me when there's nobody else around. And, I, and I'm just thinking, and I'm thinking about this. Father, I just I keep thinking about, he says, lay aside. And one translation says, get rid of. So what does that mean? And I kept thinking about Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there, it's just back, probably back to your left, just a few pages. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. A lot of people that have gone before us that have been people of faith. And here we are in the arena, and it's our turn to run. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. Now, look, this, it's a picture it's a picture of an athlete, and this athlete's getting ready to run a race, and I'm not going to sit down on the ground because I'll probably never get up here, all right? So this athlete's getting ready to run a race, and he sits down, and he says, okay, I'm going to take off these sweatpants. I'm going to take the weights off my ankle. I'm going to throw away the jacket because it's time to lay aside the stuff that would hinder, and I've got to run. Spiritual growth until the day we die is a consistent removing of stuff getting stuff out of the way so that we can look unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith and run the race that he's prepared for us to run is it your prayer like it was a prayer of an old man of God who said I pray that I can run through the finish line what a great prayer of a follower of Christ running the race that he set before you. To do that, you've got to remove some stuff. Now, keep in mind, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, is not intended to be the list of all the stuff you've got to throw away. But it does list some stuff. And let's, let's go over it and see if we understand what he said. Remove some stuff. He said, first, you need to lay aside all wickedness or malice. That word has in it the desire to hurt someone with your words or deeds. It's what you feel when you're cut off in traffic, okay? It's probably what that lady felt yesterday when I pulled up. I was on the phone. I was hands-free, but I was on the phone with KK, and I pull up to turn into a Starbucks because I needed some more coffee, and it was like a confusing parking lot with like five points, and I thought everybody had a stop sign, and she didn't. And I turned in front of her, and by the grace of God, she had control of her vehicle, and she let me know I pulled in front of her, all right? I pulled in front of her, and I pulled into the Starbucks, and KK said, what? I said, boy, that lady almost hit me. I, I, I thought we all had stop signs. She said, well, what was the deal? I said, well, it was like five points, honey. It wasn't just four, all right? I got confused. She wanted to hurt me. Lay aside all that. I want to hurt him stuff. I want to hurt her stuff. 
Because you, you, you won't grow if, if that stuff's got you. Then the second part, lay aside all deceit. That word has in it a desire to gain advantage of someone by deceiving them or to keep your position by deceiving them. It was interesting to note that over in chapter 2, verse 22, talking about Jesus when he died, it says, He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Nothing in Jesus trying to fool us to pretend to be somebody he was not. Nothing in Jesus trying to gain advantage by faking somebody out. Lay aside malice and deceit. Lay aside hypocrisy. Now, you know what that is. Pretending to be something that you're not. Hiding what really is. Being on stage acting like someone else. Envy. Lay aside deceit. Malice, hypocrisy, lay aside envy. You know what envy is. Some of these words we don't really use every day, but you get this one. It, it's talking about that desire to gain a privilege or a benefit that belongs to somebody else and you want it. It's talking about resentment towards somebody else because they have something that you don't have. Materialism. You can't make room for God if, if materialism is controlling you. You can't make room for God if bitterness is controlling you. Slander. Lay aside all slander. You probably don't use that term in your regular daily life, but there probably ought to be times you hear the Holy Spirit whisper, is that slander? I memorized a verse a long time ago, and God has a way of playing it back to me. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Only a word that's good for building up. According to the need of the moment, that you may give grace to those who hear. Lay aside slander. How would you know it's slander? When you're about to say something about somebody with an intent to maybe take away their good reputation or maybe even to expose their bad reputation you just want to kind of do everybody a favor and tell everybody who they, how bad they are and what motivates slander is usually something unresolved in me that makes it easy for me to see what's wrong in them. That's not a comprehensive list, but it sure is an explanation that to grow, we've got to remove some stuff. Are you with me? I can preach this point a while. Are you with me? All right. It, it's, a, it's a spiritual growth point of admitting to God that something in me is wrong and I need him. I've got to remove that. It's a pattern of learning to remove it. It's a pattern of learning to lay it down. That's spiritual growth. But remember the context of this passage is chapter 2 verse 1 is preceded by chapter 1 verse 25. Okay, so all of this goes back. And let's look at the context because this really is what's going to help us understand spiritual growth. It's not only removing stuff, but it's being moved by God to worship him. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. 
Verse 22 says, By obedience to the truth, having purified yourself for a sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. We need to be regularly moved to worship that we've been born again. It's just like the devil to try to take something precious and drag it through the dirt to get people hesitant to use it. It's been going on for years, and my awareness of it has been going on since we had a president back in the 70s that talked about being born again, and the culture just started taking that and beating Christians over the head with it to the point that we don't want to use it anymore. It sounds too Baptist in a little country church screaming and hollering. But since it's just us talking, this is Bible stuff, okay? Jesus said, unless you are born again, you'll not be able to see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? It means you come to the place that you know you're a sinner and you're separated from God and you can't save yourself. And as you come to that place that you know you're a sinner and you are separated from God and you can't save yourself, the good news of Jesus is preached to you. The word of God is somehow communicated to you that the perfect God-man, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, went to a cross, and God took all of our sin and put it on him. And the one who knew no sin became sin for us, that he might give the very righteousness of God to us. And when you come to the place, you might not could have explained it, you might not could tell anybody what happened, but you knew that there was like something knocking in your heart, gripping you, and you needed a Savior. And the scripture says, because of that, you have been born again. Now, what happened when you were born again? Chapter 1, verse 14 says you were called. Chapter 1, verse 18 says you were ransomed. Chapter 1, verse 19 says you were ransomed by precious blood when Jesus died. Chapter 1, verse 21 says you have faith in the resurrected one and you have hope in God. Where did all this come from? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 25. Quoting the Old Testament, all flesh is like grass, its glory is like a flower. The grass withers, the flower drops off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you as the gospel. And you responded. We throw the word gospel around a lot. We use it as modifiers. We use it as intensifiers. Don't ever let frequency of a term drive you to flippancy with a term. The gospel is the good news. And why is the good news good? Because the bad news is bad. The bad news is we've all sinned and we come short of the glory of God. But the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here's the point. If spiritual growth 
is going to happen in my life and in your life. We're going to be moved with some frequency and some regularity to worship. What will happen when we're moved to worship? Let me, let me tell you how this was driven home to me yesterday on the way home. Yesterday on the way from Winston-Salem, I made sure I could drive through Asheville, and I called a longtime friend who lived, I thought he lived in the area. He lived about 45 minutes away. I didn't know it. But he, he drove over near the interstate to meet me for coffee. And we sat down to talk. I started by saying, Fred, I asked you to meet here because I needed to grieve. I was not able to talk to you when your wife died. And I hope it doesn't hurt you too much to take me back through that grief. Oh, I was there when his first wife died in their 30s with two little children. And she had cancer and she died. A few years later, Fred married probably the sweetest single girl I'd ever known in the church there. And they married and because they were past child bearing age for her they adopted three more children that I've never met and it was just such a wonderful marriage they were moved to North Carolina they were living there things were going so well and she was diagnosed with cancer and it was deep and it was advanced and she suffered and she died KK and I were moved to tears when we got the diagnosis. Bless Fred's heart. I mean, this is the second wife he's had who had cancer and died. And he's just, he's just barely 60 years old. So we met. He said, Pastor, it's a layman now. I want you to make sure you get the point. This is not some other pastor, okay? This is a regular go-to-church guy, all right? He said, Pastor, I really got mad at God. It was really tough. I'd go out in a public place and I'd see some lady overweight, smoking, and I'd say, God, you got the wrong one. My wife fought for her health, kept herself fit, always ate right. Oh, that's how life worked and he said I really had struggle just meeting God I said so Fred was there a day was there a breakthrough he said oh there was a definite breakthrough he said one day I just sat down opened my Bible I was trying to read in the Psalms because I knew they were full of feelings <laughs> and I was reading through the Psalms and I, and I came to this place and he, he quoted the verses for me and he began to weep. He said, that was the moment when I let God's word do what it needed to do in my heart. He said, I'm still sad and I, I still have tough times. He said, but I keep going back to those times of worship when the word of God comes and grips my heart. 
You see, if we're going to grow, we're going to have those times where we're moved to worship. I don't want to lecture you to put together a Bible reading plan and come show me that you read the Bible through this year. That's a good thing. We all ought to do it sometime in our life. I, I don't want you to learn how to read the Bible for mileage just so you can say you call some words. I want you to learn what the Scripture says here is a hunger for God. I had three points for today, and it looks like, I mean, four points. It looks like one of them I don't have time to do. So we're going to skip over, move to love. I'll come back to that. And I want to end this morning talking with you about this hunger for God. Where does that hunger for God come from? We'll go back to chapter 2 and, and look, at, look at it again. Verse 2, after you've set aside some stuff, you've removed some stuff. Like newborn infants desire the unadulterated milk, this translation this translation says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. What does it mean to long for milk? Well, there's another case in the scripture where the Bible talks about milks for babies and meats for grown-ups. Okay? And if you're not careful, you'll come to this place in your Bible and you'll think milks for babies and meats for grown-ups. I'm grown now. I don't need the spiritual milk of the word. You're missing the point. The point here is all of us with regularity at some point, hopefully every day, find a way to stop and let something about God and his word find its way to nurture and feed our soul. I think about those places where people don't have copies of the Bible. You got, like me, five or ten at home, different translations. You think, well, I ought to feel guilty because I don't read mine, but bless their hearts, I guess they don't have to feel guilty because they don't have a Bible. <laughs> Come on, is that how it works? No, it doesn't work that way. For all of us who have heard and have knowledge of an opportunity to know something about the Word of God, we are told that we should long for like a baby. Now, let me ask. Got a baby sitting over here. When that baby gets hungry, you just say, not, not quite time, baby. Sorry, you can't eat. Does that work? Doesn't work. Not quite time, baby. Let me give you a passy. Does that work? Doesn't quite work. Baby this size, let me give you a little water. A few sips, maybe. But nope. I want milk. This morning, if you're truly born from above, there's something in you that wants God. And wanting God you want to know something about him in his word that calls you to respond to him as the good, good father who is perfect in all of his ways, like you sang this morning. So, how 
do we do this? Well, I decided to bring this up here this morning to see if I can make a closing point. You know what this is? Can you tell? It's written right there if you can see that little bee print. It's honey. Now some of you probably don't like honey, so this illustration is going to break down just a tad, all right? But go with me, all right? Do you like Cracker Barrel biscuits? Huh? Okay. Cracker Barrel, getting ready to leave. Do you want dessert? Nope, just bring me another biscuit. And KK is going to ask for blackberry jelly. And I'm going to ask for honey. Because I don't eat it every day, but it's in the Bible. Come on. You know, it talks about the word of the Lord is like honey, sweet to the taste, right? Now this morning you can see that that's honey. I, I hope you can believe just by the way it's doing there in the jar that that's honey. And you can even smell it and, oh yeah, that's honey. But you know what? Seeing it. Believing that's what it is, is not tasting it. Nobody can taste it for you. Will you make room in your heart that you may grow? in your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. I hope your tasting of the goodness of the Lord is not a memory from a long time ago. I hope that your tasting that the Lord is good is something you will cultivate and make room in your life to stop and know that he is God. Would you bow your heads right now and kind of put it into practice? Lord, I thank you that I've been born again from above. I thank you that I've been called, that you've paid for my sin with the precious blood of Christ. Lord, I thank you that I have faith in the resurrected one and great hope in you because the good news, the gospel, was proclaimed to me. Lord, may I never think I'm old enough and been doing this long enough to lose my desire to grow. And may I make room in my life that somehow every day and, oh Lord, throughout the day, find a way to be still and know that you are God and that you are good and that your ways are right. Thank you, Lord, that we could, in singing and in seeing your word, today we could come together and taste 
Now, Lord, I pray as we prepare to leave and live sent that we would cultivate moments like this to be still and know that you're God. In Jesus' name we worship. Would you stand and we'll sing together.